Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. But I will tell you that it took decades and decades for me to grow the backbone and the boundaries that I do have now so that I can live my values. And when I talk about being a truth teller, you know, the true genius of communication is learning how to be completely honest and at the same time completely kind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes no matter how kind you try to be when you tell a truth, uh, people who have shame don't want to hear that truth. But I've also come to terms with sometimes in life, you have to give people the gift of pain because until they have that wake up call with the gift of pain, they can't grow and move forward. And I also try to provide a lot of depth and understanding whenever I tell a truth that's prickly. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Live Boldly podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. This is an inspiring podcast for those seeking proven ways of healing, growing, and transcending their lives. I am a legendary leader in healing, acclaimed author, keynote, and TEDx speaker, a mom, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, every other week I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. I went into it like with my intention, not only was healing, was to get an idea of what to do moving forward. If I should leave my career of 24 years, and transition into something else. This is a good one too. (laughs) Every one of yours, they're all so good. So I went into it with this idea that was planted in my head by by a therapist I was seeing of becoming a coach for other partners. And I went into it also with some fear around that, that self-worth thing, right? Because there are other coaches on the retreat, and I'm like, well, what, well, who do I think I am that I can become a coach? And I have these like really big deal coaches. What are they going to think of me? And they're going to think, why would she think she can be a coach? <laughs> this whole self-talk thing. But that damn tape in our head. So I put it out there, and instead of the story I was telling myself, I got so much support, so many affirmations. I was getting mentoring in the canyon, and it was just incredible and so supportive. And um, it felt uplifting. And and then while I was taking out of the canyon, I was just kind of hiking by myself, processing, thinking, and bringing in God, my my grandmothers who have passed long ago that I could feel their presence with me. I just felt so much love surrounding me and so much support and telling me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb out of the canyon and I'm launching a coaching business. 
And I also had like such clarity and I, I was being told, not only are you going to be okay, you're going to be more than okay. Yeah. And so I came home, I shared that with my husband. He was just shaking his head yes in support, like, yes, 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 this is what you were called to do. And I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly Podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. Today, I have on Dr. Wendy Walsh. Go grab your journals. She is America's relationship expert. I've been following her on Instagram. If you do not do so already, follow her on Instagram and TikTok. You will learn so much about relationships. Before I share about Dr. Wendy Walsh, I want to remind you that we are filling our 2022 and 2023 retreats. We have one spot left for April. We will be watching the sunrise two miles down inside the Grand Canyon on Easter morning. If you would like to join us, please message me and let's get you in. Sarah at SarahSheltonKranz.com. Again, that's S-A-R-A at SarahSheltonKranz.com. We also have a co-ed Grand Canyon retreat coming up in July, as well as a co-ed Alaska healing retreat um, in July as well. We are also filling our Thanksgiving healing retreat down inside the Grand Canyon. That I am super excited about. I've had Thanksgiving down inside the canyon before, and I'm so excited about doing it again. We also have the January co-ed Grand Canyon retreat in 2023. Now, here's the thing. Land healing is very different from water healing, if you have not heard me say that a thousand and one times. The land healing is very, um, land heal- healing in and of itself is very grounding, right? It is a different kind of space. And when we are working with within the Grand Canyon, we are going into the earth and we are also going into ourselves and doing the work. So it is very, very powerful. I am sad to say that we will no longer be running these after January of 2023 because they are redoing the entire water pipeline and stopping all services indefinitely at the bottom. Now, here is the thing. We all know that when the universe speaks, when we have things happen to us, it is an opportunity for us to step into our own growth. And so I will be working more corporate as well as getting onto stage, which I am extremely excited about doing, spreading the message from a different kind of summit, I guess you could say, right? We also have um, the Alaska Healing Retreat, which is water healing at its best. We'll be kayaking island to island and kayaking next to glaciers and waterfalls. There is a little bit of hiking involved, but nothing too strenuous at all. It is a space of cleansing and healing in a very different kind of way. So if either of these have been calling to your heart and your soul, please reach out and let's have a discovery call and let's see if it's the right fit for you. Again, email me, sarah at sarahsheltonkranz.com, or you can email my dear director of operations, joe, J-O, at sarahsheltonkranz.com, and one of us will get back to you as soon as possible to set up a call and see what is the right fit for you. These have been filling. They will continue to fill. And I do know that the one thing we don't want to do later in life is wish we had stepped into the space that was calling for us. So I am here inviting you in. Now let's talk about Dr. Wendy Walsh. I love her. She is a relationship expert, America's relationship expert. Dr. Wendy takes the latest science of love and turns it into news you can use to improve your intimate relationships. Whether the topic is finding love by navigating dating apps, keeping love by introducing novelty and better communication skills, 
ask her how to make a, how to make a communication sandwich or coping after a divorce or loss. Dr. Wendy has the data and practical advice on how to do it the healthy way. She is the host of the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on iHeartRadio for the last six years. She is also a former co-host of the Dr. Phil spinoff, The Doctors, the author of three books on relationships, and host of the podcast Mating Matters. During the pandemic, when people suffered the most isolation, she blew up on TikTok and other social media and has nearly 2 million followers online. So please go grab your journals. I am so honored to have her on having this conversation with not only me, but with all of you. And so there is a lot of great advice, a lot of great tools, tips, and tricks for you to use in your own life. And I welcome you to continue following her all over social media, reaching out as well in whatever way that she or I can guide you in your life journey. Thank you for being here. Continue to spread the love, spread the ripples, and let's be there for one another. As I always say, we matter, you matter, this world matters, and it begins with each one of us. Dr. Wendy Walsh, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you on. For many reasons, I look to certain people in my life as inspiration and to who are models for me as a woman stepping into the space. And you are one of them. I've been following you for a long time. You don't even know it. That's what's the beauty of, of all of this, right? Like we kind of get to sit there and, and follow people and say, oh, okay, I'm learning from her in this way. And there are many, many reasons why I love you. Aww. You are an absolute truth teller absolute down to your bones, down to your heart, your soul alignment of truth. I love how you speak about relationships, which we're going to dive into. And you are a woman of integrity. So pretty much, I just love every part of you. <laughs> well, thank you. And you're meeting me now, but I will tell you that it took decades and decades for me to grow the backbone and the boundaries that I do have now so that I can live my values. And when I talk about being a truth teller, you know, the true genius of communication is learning how to be completely honest and at the same time, completely kind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes no matter how kind you try to be, when you tell a truth, uh, people who have shame don't want to hear that truth. But I've also come to terms with sometimes in life, you have to give people the gift of pain Mm -hmm. because until they have that wake up call with the gift of pain, they can't grow and move forward. And I also try to provide a lot of depth and understanding whenever I tell a truth that's prickly. Oh gosh. Okay. So let's, let's go back. Were you always a truth teller? Have this, is this something that's been, that was instilled in you as a young girl? And if so, when did you start this? Let's start with kindergarten when I spent half the year with my desk out in the hall (laughs) for talking too much or getting into trouble. Um, I'm just naturally born as an extrovert. And I was fortunate enough that my parents gave me love and allowed me to express myself. And so when I got out of the world and I watched everybody biting their tongue, I'm like, wait, it's not fair. Or there's an injustice. Why are you biting your tongue? You'll get in trouble. You have to be careful. Right. And so There were years where I learned to be a good girl 
and I learned to be quiet and polite. And if I had nothing nice to say, I would say nothing at all. And I did that for a long time. And I was really unhappy because when I see somebody being hurt, somebody being discriminated against, some system that seems unfair to a group, I I, got to speak up. It's just who I am. And you've done this over and over and over again. I have. I mean, I never expected in 2017, the New York Times to come to me and ask me if I comment on sexual harassment at Fox News. And I, I thought they actually wanted like a soundbite from a psychologist about the mental health ramifications of being sexually harassed. And in my conversation, I was just like, oh, you know, or actually she brought it up. She said, I've been going through old shows of the O'Reilly factor. And you used to be a regular expert and then you disappeared. Do you want to tell us what happened? And I literally went, oh, you mean because I wouldn't go back to Bill O'Reilly's hotel room with him? And then the job he offered me suddenly disappeared. Like it was so normalized Mm -hmm. for women of our generation that we just joke about it. It was my favorite cocktail party story for years. And then she's like, well, you know, that's illegal. I'm like, it is? (laughs) Wait a second, what? Wait, that sexual harassment, job applicants can be sexually harassed. Someone can offer you a job and then withdraw it because you don't go back to their hotel room and there's actually ramifications. Wow. That's a whole oh, new world. And that was really the beginning, you know, when uh, white women annex uh, Tarana Burke's Me Too movement, hashtag Me Too. That was in July of 2017. I stuck my neck out on April 1st of 2017 and we were on the front page of the New York Times. So yeah, if you walk, can walk through that troll fire, you can do anything. Yeah, no kidding. And then you, so you were majorly into the Me Too unit movement. So yeah. Well, I accidentally became a face of the early women in the Me Too movement. Yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting. I was just on a podcast earlier and I, they asked me about uh, the Me Too w- with what I experienced um, through my own rape at 17. And I told them, you know, <laughs> Me too gave me the opportunity to speak my truth about that. Mm-hmm. And what I did was, mm-hmm. which I'm sure many people did, many people had their own way of, of going inwardly and speaking their truth and, and really diving into that. I wrote a blog post. I ended up publishing it. I pressed publish. I went and climbed a mountain, went and climbed San Bernardino Mountain and just went, well, that's somewhere out there right now making waves and I'm not having to deal with it because I'm up on the mountain somewhere climbing and enjoying myself and releasing this to the world and like literally releasing my truth. Mm -hmm. And then I came off the mountain and once I got service and I pulled up my phone and I started reading all the comments and how many people were uh, thanking me for speaking my truth. I thought, Oh my gosh, this is what happens. This is what happens. You You know, I think Brene Brown talks a lot about shame And that that is that one feeling, you know, because I'm an evolutionary psychologist and we survived for many generations because of our tribalism, our connection with others. We're cooperative breeders, we're social beings, we're cooperative thinkers. And so the worst, absolute worst punishment in our anthropological history and today is to be exiled from the tribe, from the village from the media. And so we are terrified of being shamed by others. Mm-hmm. And once we get to a point where we're kind of like, wait, I have my small group of people who love me exactly for who I am. And no matter what happens, I know they're going nowhere. Then I don't care 
about the big shame. If I can leave the planet a safer place when I leave. Yeah, that's so true. So true. I was just reading about shame actually yesterday or two days ago. And, um, and how many times have we all felt it and, and it, how it's useless. I mean, (laughs) really, it's just, well, it's a messenger, right? And sometimes it, it, it's a little bit helpful, but the rest of the time, you know, we should also know that there are times of the week or the month or, or the year where we're very resilient and we can talk, we have a very high shame tolerance. And then you might have, a a little clump of stressors, frequent daily hassles, where all of a sudden you read one comment on something online and you're just mortified and you feel so embarrassed and ashamed. And it's because you were vulnerable at that moment because there was this clump of other stressors that were happening at the same time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So let's dive into the work that you do today. Mm -hmm. I want to know all about it. Give us a little bit about who you are, what got you to this space and the work that you do with others? So my work has always been around the science of love, even when I wasn't practicing it. I was living it and experiencing it. Uh, My story is a lot like yours, and people can Google it. It's all over the British media and the Australian media and the French media. I'm part of a group of uh, former models who were raped by the president of elite models when we were teenagers in Paris. And so that was the beginning of me trying to figure out, like, is this love? Is this what adults do? How do you get together? And and not even understanding that the trauma of that experience would filter through all of my relationships for the rest of my life and not understanding it. I'm a pretty smart, resilient person. So I went on to get a degree in journalism and I became a writer and then I became a news anchor and news reporter and hosted TV shows. And I was had that great performance personality <laughs> and very successful in media. And it was only when I sat down to enter, I entered therapy really with the hormones of pregnancy with my first baby in my mid thirties, where I started to unravel all the trauma of our lives that every little girl experiences. You know, our bodies are violated so often and in so many ways Um, early in life for me, there was medical abuse and medical trauma, and there was a lot of stuff that happened. And I started to unravel it, trying to figure out how I could make a life different for my daughter that then would become two daughters. And so I started taking psychology classes while I was nursing and having babies and raising toddlers. I used to bring my babies to school with me and in a little, uh, what, do you, what do you call that, a little sling and nurse them in class. And I was really interested in child development so that I could develop my kids in a safer, healthier way. But what I learned in child development is that the whole game of life is about attachment. And attachment parenting is really about learning how to love and that we all form in the first three years of life, a kind of model for love in our heads, a blueprint that says, this is what love is, even if love is filled with pain or longing or neglect or criticism. And then in our adult romantic lives, we go out and we find somebody who will make us feel the same way because that's familiar to us. We understand it. And so As I studied psychology, I ended up getting a master's and PhD and ended up writing three books about love, uh, The Boyfriend Test, The Girlfriend Test, The 30-Day Love Detox. Um, I just continued. And then I started a podcast, Mating Matters, and I started interviewing the world's most prominent researchers in the science of love. And it is a science. There's a biological piece 
There's a psychological piece and there's a social piece. And what I'm really good at as a journalist is I can take somewhat complicated science and turn it into words that everybody can understand. So who knew that the the biggest place where I would find my, find my audience would be on TikTok? And so during the pandemic, I started a TikTok channel and I now have a million followers and I am having a ball over there. And then I started a Patreon, which is a sort of behind the paywall social media, but it's really more access to me. We do private Zoom rooms and we talk about relationship issues and I made it super cheap and affordable so I could have lots and lots of people have access to me. And that's the most important thing to me. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I, the one thing that I love about your story is the fact that you've, you've done the work, like you've got, you've, you've gone so deep into your path (laughs) when it comes to realizing how all of that, when you were younger has actually affected you now today as a woman. And you are such a, you're such a wise woman. Oh, thank you. That's all I wanted to be. I just wanted to grow up to be a wise woman. (laughs) So I guess I've made it. (laughs) Well, and you stand so much in your integrity and so, and and in who you are and your truth. And it's, that's the most beautiful thing. How has understanding and really acknowledging your truth allowed you to step into who you are today? Well, remember we talked about shame and when you can finally understand that nothing was your fault, that people did things to you when you were powerless, whether you were a child, whether you were a young woman or teenager, people who had more power than you abused that power. And then you can get rid of your shame and you can tell the stories. And so my TikTok channel is filled with bad dating stories and bad relationship stories and everything you can imagine I have experienced from rape to domestic violence to financial abuse. And, but I never thought of myself as a victim. I always thought of myself as a problem solver. Okay, now I have this problem. What I have to do? Because I've always been a thinker and using my prefrontal cortex. And so now what I do is I take my solutions that I used and I tell them to everybody else. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you set a boundary with somebody. Here's how you get out of financial abuse. Here's what you need to do. And so I I just, it almost makes me cry. The, The women that write to me and the stories they tell me about how much my words have helped them, even though all I'm doing is being a translator, but I guess I couldn't have been a helper have if I wasn't a wounded healer. You're exactly right. That those words need to be, it could not be helper if I wasn't a wounded healer. And that's what it is to speak your truth. How do you speak it when it's really hard for you to acknowledge it? Nothing's hard anymore. (laughs) I've been doing it for so many years. You've been doing it for so many years, but say that there's somebody listening to this right now that it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like not interested in looking at my truth, not interested in not interested in, in really acknowledging what my truth is. How do you, then do it for others. Yeah. Do it for your daughters do it for the secrets your mother's holding. Do it for other people so that you can change society. Now I should say using your voice is super important, but it is not the responsibility of everybody. 
I would never suggest that somebody re-injure themselves by going public with a story that they're not ready to do yet. So I want to be really clear about that. There are a few of us on the planet who can carry the flag and march in front and with our big mouths. And we do it for those that are suffering in silence. So if I were to encourage somebody who is on the brink of being almost ready, I would say practice your story over and over in front of people who love you and ask them to behave like trolls. What would they say negatively? And kind of, um, uh, you know, learn to, learn to tolerate it. And if you find you're not ready, you're not ready. That's okay. How have you not? So I want to ask this for myself as well, because there's a lot of myself out there. How is it that you have been able to speak over and over and over again, your truth in some of the most difficult ways with some of the most difficult sources and you haven't hardened like you, you haven't hardened. You're not, you know, my my energy with you. You are an extremely soft, loving. Because I even understand the psychology of the perpetrator. Ah, okay. Very few people, and I have great compassion. Very few people are out there to hurt people because it gives them pleasure. Now, There is a very small percentage of the population who are natural born sociopaths and psychopaths who have, you know, some brain chemistry wrong, but they are 0.0001% of the population, right? Yeah. Rest of the people are protecting themselves and they're defending themselves in some way. Even if they're fighting with a ghost, they're defending themselves from something that's not real, but something happened to them too in childhood. Look, if if you want to know how far I can go towards forgiveness, understanding, and compassion. I have a friend who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's a sex therapist. And the population she administers to are, listen closely, minor attracted adults. Mm. Most of them are in prison. You might use the term pedophile. But 100% of them have been raped as children. And 100% of them live in fear for their lives every day in prison. And this is the population she nurtures to help heal them. Wow. So if she can do that, I can look to the people who have hurt me and say, you know, who knows, given all the circumstances that they went through or are in or conditions, who knows that I wouldn't have made the same choices. We just don't know. Right. What is most important, though, doesn't mean that we give permission to people to hurt others, but that we learn to create boundaries and consequences so that we can protect ourselves and extricate ourselves from situations early. I would say if there's one message from everything I teach in the science of love, you know, you might use the, the slang term, looking for the red flags, right? But I teach people how to assess early on if somebody is safe or not, and whether you should be vulnerable with them, whether it's emotionally vulnerable or whether you should be physically vulnerable and expose your eggs in your bloodstream to them, right? And that's what boundaries are. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. Yep. It's, I, I noticed I've watched, I've watched your videos. <laughs> I've watched your videos. And when I watch your videos, um, I know that's something for me having lived through so much that I'm always very conscientious about that. I, I've actually softened up and, uh, I was just reading, was it a Gabby Bernstein quote or something like that, where it said, when you do the deep healing, what you do is you're actually softening. You're allowing yourself to soften into and become this woman or this man, whomever, um, through the experience. Imagine instead of being trapped in the role of victim, if instead we could step back and be the eyes of the all-seer of the entire game board, Mm -hmm. every player involved in it, and have a greater understanding of the game of life and the game of love. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's so beautiful. That's why, you know, for instance, I mean, I I don't ever want to discount the tragedy that happened to you, but one of the things that helped me understand rape on my podcast, I interviewed a famous evolutionary psychologist named Dr. Randy Thornhill, and he wrote a book called A Natural History of Rape. And he talked about why, why sexual aggression, so I have a nuts in my throat, (coughs) why sexual aggression evolved in the male species. And he basically said, given any conditions where the costs are very low and the benefits very high, literally buried deep in the sexual psychology of any man is a rapist. So we think about frat house parties and drunken girls, and we think about costs are low, benefits very high, benefits getting unconsciously getting to impregnate a very fertile uh, young woman in her fertility window. Right. And so now that I understand it, it doesn't make me hate men. It makes me love them more. Can you imagine walking around with that inside yourself and always trying to suppress it? Wow. So that's the deep, deep, deep understanding. Yep. Wow. And again, this is not permission. No, it's not understanding, which is very different. And also through us as women and men, men experience it as well, right? In a different different way. Um, but being able to understand a little bit more the people that we want to actually be in relationship with, right? Being able to understand and being able to see the the uh, the behaviors that are being brought forth. I mean, what is intimacy? Exactly. What is intimacy intimacy? is my favorite definition of intimacy is being able to see the flaws in your partner and still love them. But more importantly, knowing that they can see the flaws in you and still loving yourself. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, totally. So let's talk attachment because this is your other thing. We're, yeah. we're, we're hitting on a lot of subjects, but it's because like you, you, well, it's all connected to attachment. <laughs> it's, all, it's all connected and, and you, and I want to touch on them all because it's so important. So let's dive into attachment. Uh, first of all, explain attachment to our listeners. This is okay. This is a, and dive as far in as you want. It's I'll, I'll, I'll give you the elevator pitch. <laughs> okay. So, um, Attachment style is a psychological theory. It is the theory that has been most studied and is most quantifiable of any psychological theory that's out there. It literally has gone to the biological. I interviewed a neuroscientist yesterday for my podcast. My podcast is called Mating Matters. And uh, he puts people in MRI machines and he shows them pictures of the people 
they love. And he watches their brain light up in areas, some like a drug addiction area, some actually like a fear center, and some an area of their brain where there's great suppression. They're suppressing feelings of connection, right? And so we can now see attachment. We can literally see it. Um, He also tests things like uh, hormonal stress, uh, you know, cortisol levels in saliva, and he looks at different kind of hormonal surges connected with attachment. But attachment is essentially this. It is partly biological predisposition. You come into the world with a certain need for a certain amount of closeness, contact, affection, etc. You also come into the world with genes potentially for anxiety or depression or avoidance, right? But then, like every other gene in the human brain, when it comes into the world, that gene has to be either enlivened or suppressed by environment. So let's say we have an anxious baby who came into the world filled with a gene for anxiety, and they happen to have a really intuitive, loving mom who ignored the baby books that said, let that baby cry it out. They'll sleep better, but instead slept with her baby, nursed the baby around the clock, loved the baby, soothed the baby, calmed the baby. Oh, guess what? That baby's gene for anxiety doesn't get to flourish. And when that baby goes out as an adult into nightclubs in their 20s, those people that are a little bit rude to them, they kind of giggle and walk away because that doesn't feel like love. And then the person who's has great eye contact, who touches their arm when they talk, is the person that they see has a secure attachment style, and that's the one they'll naturally gravitate to. Now, the problem comes if both your genetic predisposition and the kind of parenting you had, and again, most of this is when you're preverbal. It's out of our awareness. It's all unconscious stuff. That's why it's hard to tease out in therapy because you don't really have a narrative for it. However, what a good therapist will do, especially if they specialize in attachment theory, is they will connect the stories from your first crushes to your college romance to your current midlife divorce. (laughs) And they'll go, wait a minute, I'm seeing a theme here. Something happened at the cradle. So um, if unfortunately your model for love was filled with pain or longing, you will find partners that will make you feel that way. And so the big question that everyone asks is, can you change your attachment style? Absolutely. And the way you change your attachment style is making a conscious choice to choose a partner that makes you feel differently. When I was first healing from my anxious attachment style, I told myself very clearly that, you know, I used to say, and a lot of girls with an anxious attachment style will use this term, they go, you know, he's cute, but he's just too nice. Or he seems really needy. Why is he calling all the time? Because they're used to the avoidant ones who give them the cold shoulder and check in in a very inconsistent way. And they love the roller coaster. That is not love, by the way. The roller coaster is not love. And so I vowed to choose the next too nice, too needy guy. And I would learn to tolerate kindness. And so I had a two and a half year relationship with this person. And it was a very healing relationship. And by the time I got to the end of it, I realized, oh, he actually has an anxious attachment style. (laughs) He is too needy. I get it now. But the pendulum was swinging from being attracted to avoidant to now repelling from someone a little too needy back to the center. And then the next boyfriend I met had a very secure attachment style. So that, and what is my definition of secure attachment style? Somebody who can give love and receive love freely 
somebody who has a backbone of self-esteem so that they can say, I'm sorry sometimes, and they can talk about prickly things, that is a secure attachment. Okay. Well, if anybody didn't catch a lot out of that. (laughs) (laughs) So, holy, that's going to be replayed, I'm sure. People are going to be going back and like listening to that again and grabbing their journals and saying, which one am I? There is actually a great attachment test that you can take online. One of the best researchers in attachment, his name is R. Chris Fraley. So if you just Google the words Chris Fraley, F-R-A-L-E-Y, and then the words attachment test, you will see he's collecting data right now on people. It's anonymous. You might have to put demographic stuff like your age or something, but, um, and gender, but, uh, there are really great attachments tests out there. Wow. Did you, so, so in your relationship, when you got into, so this is one question that people ask me a lot, but am I going to get bored in a relationship when I'm used to the roller coaster? Yes. And you should examine that boredom. Tell me more. Tell them more. So if you're used to highs and lows and the lows are absolutely painful, And the highs are absolutely so exciting. I want to tell you that real love feels like peace. Mm -hmm. Real love is really good for your health. It lowers the stress hormone cortisol, lowers your blood pressure, your heart rate. People who have a secure attachment and stay together for a long period of time have better mental and physical health. They accumulate more wealth and they actually live longer because the roller coaster is super bad for your health. It can lead to diabetes, heart disease, stroke. Honestly, we're now seeing this. So what you might think is boring is peace. Mm -hmm. And what you're really feeling when you're feeling the boredom is I'm afraid. I'm afraid to get emotionally close because when you actually do become emotionally close and you're not used to it, it's terrifying. And so you'll use boredom as your excuse. You know, that's the way you rationalize. Well, you know, they're so consistent. They're always showing up. You know why they're always showing up? Because you're supposed to show up. Open your heart and your mind and talk about your feelings. A hundred percent. Yeah, boredom is is really the running feeling in a different name. Right. I'm bored. I'm bored. And then no more of the running feeling, folks. Well, and, and, and again, exactly what you said, there's something to examine there, pull it back and say, okay, what's underneath this? Why, why am I feeling this way? Why am I even calling it boredom? Right. Why am I even calling it boredom? Can you imagine that so many women, and I used to use the term to say, he's too nice. Isn't nice what you're supposed to be attracted to? (laughs) You know, yeah. Cause I actually had a client message me yesterday or two days ago. And she said, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I'm running and he's just so nice. I'm like, okay, let's let's pull this back here. Yeah. That's that fear of intimacy. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Which can be, I, I get it. Like I I also having lived through toxic relationships, I completely understand that 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 fear of love and fear of intimacy and fear of. Well, what the fear of intimacy is, is actually an abandonment fear. Like if I open up and risk exposing my heart and soul to somebody, then they could leave me. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be left not only feeling lonely, but filled with shame that I told them all those things. Right. Self-sabotage. Right. And if we can instead just go, you know what? Here is who I am. 
This is what I'm about. Now, I want to say carefully that you must have boundaries at the beginning. Uh, on a first date is not the time to talk about your childhood trauma. Right? Uh, we all do a mating dance in the first few weeks and months. And it's like peeling away the layers gently and looking for reciprocity. We reveal a little bit. They reveal a little bit. If they don't reveal a little bit, we pull back a little bit, right? And so until we get to a place where we feel emotionally safe. So, okay. So you're diving into relationships and taking this wisdom that you've experienced in life and created something that has been helping other people. What gave you the tenacity, the resilience, the uh, spark to do all of that? Just obsession with the subject matter. I just never got bored with it. And there's new research coming out all the time. I don't think that I've ever started again or started over. I've just continued to build on this foundation. And I just kept adding to my knowledge and kept adding to uh, different media access, right? So if I began in television um, and publishing, now I'm in TikTok and on Instagram and I have a radio show and a podcast. So, you know, the the method of sharing the information has changed as we enter the digital age. And the other great thing is the amount of data that's coming at me uh, from the area of relationship sciences just keeps building. So I'm always learning as the same t- at the same time that I'm always sharing. Like for instance, okay, here's something I learned just the other day. So I teach psychology and one of my students wrote a paper on attachment. And what I love about when my students write a paper on attachment is they pull up all kinds of new research that I get to read in their paper. And if I like it, I'll go back to the source of the research and read the whole study. So uh, this uh, paper I found was about anger. And obviously, People who have an avoidant attachment style, they're more likely to give you the silent treatment or not show up for conflict, turn on the TV while you're bringing up something. Uh, They they will be avoidant when it comes to anger. Now, people who have an anxious attachment style will also be avoidant when they're upset. But when things are going well and the relationship is the best and the most closest forever, that's when the anxious person creates some unnecessary drama and creates a fight for no reason because it's leftover anger from before when they didn't feel safe expressing it because they were afraid they'd be abandoned. So they wait till the most secure time to cause a drama because it's safer. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. And I can think of a few people right now that have done that. (laughs) (laughs) And I shall not name names. <laughs> yeah, I could go on for days. If, for committed couples, let me tell you this. The, the research points to over and over and over, whether it's your sex life, your uh, just you know romantic life, whether it's just connection with each other, the most important ingredient that you have to keep adding over and over and over is novelty. The brain gets bored looking at, talking to, and having sex with the same person over and over. So how do you add novelty to that relationship without breaking it up or threatening it? You move it to a new location. Why do you think people have date nights? Why do you think people go on couples weekends? Why do you think they suddenly decide to skydive together? They're adding that adrenaline to their relationship. Literally move them to a new location for a day, and it looks like a whole new toy. Um, So we have to continue in long-term relationships 
to add novelty. And, you know, I keep telling this science to my boyfriend and he's hysterical because he will write me these texts where he's like, honey, we haven't had any novelty in a couple of weeks. I found this museum. We have to go. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is what you preach, girlfriend. Otherwise right. you should be preaching. <laughs> I literally do exactly what I read. I'm like, well, science says then we're going to do it. Well, I do the same thing. I call it an adventurous lifestyle. I mean, I, you know, I go, I go do the things that I need to be doing for myself as well. I'm not in a relationship. I am in a relationship with self and that's what I'm having fun with right now. Well, nobody's my own new novelty. Nobody's (laughs) actually single, by the way, I'm sure you have a primary attachment figure. I'm sure there's somebody in your life, whether it's a family member, best friend that you check in with nearly every day. A hundred percent. Everybody has a primary figure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I do love that though. The novelty thing. I'm going to be thinking about that when I'm on the trail next, because like in relationship with self, I'm constantly bringing in novelty Yeah, in different, different ways, new trails, new adventures. Let me ask you a question. Do you go hiking by yourself? Yes. In the wilderness? At night. Sometimes. Do you bring bear spray? No. Okay, so I can't do it. Okay, there you go. I'm resilient in every way, except that I'm Canadian. We have real grizzly where I'm from, okay? And hiking alone is just never done in Canada unless you're a crazy person. And so I'm afraid in California, I'm afraid of uh, coyotes and mountain lions. As soon as I get up to Oregon and Montana and Idaho, now I'm worried about the bears. And every little twig that it's a bird and a thing, I jump and I just do not have a relaxing time because I'm so worried about the wildlife. So I will tell you when you're talking about peace, the, my, the, the reason that I feel so comfortable with myself and my truth and am very intimate within my own self is because I have actually taken this time to not be afraid. And, uh, one of the, one of the ways that I did that was going hiking and going into the mountains and finding peace outdoors. Um, that- I love all that. I just need a, a man with me. <laughs> well, so, so unfortunately, sometimes it's very hard to find men that want to go climb peaks in the middle of the night, watch the sunrise on the summit. <laughs> but I, and I will say that one of the most, um, spectacular nights that I had was, was alone because uh, my because my bestie went to the wrong trailhead. So I literally was like, okay, I either go home or I start hiking. I know it's two o'clock in the morning. What's my alternative? I don't want to go home. I wanted to watch the sunrise. And so I took off by myself and I made a little message to my mom and I said, this is what I'm doing. I have my Garmin, so I am safe in case I need to contact anybody. And you had self-reception. No cell reception. Mm-mm. Not once oh. I started climbing the peak, but I had my Garmin with me. So I could message my mom if I needed to. And then oh. I just, you know, I took off and, and I will tell you that I think that in relationships, when you're talking about the twigs, you step on a twig, it's like a red flag. It's like a, it's like a, okay, wait, what, what is this? And and it taught me being alone at night in the dark and then watching the sunrise on the summit was, was a space of you can find peace in your darkest moments when you go inward and truly listen and breathe. And when you get to the top, that light that you see is phenomenal. That sunrise was one of the most amazing, breathtaking. Sunrise. Okay. So you know what my version of that is? <laughs> I learned during COVID. Yes. I am a road tripper. 
Oh, yeah. I can drive 15 hours without taking a I mean, I stopped to pee and I talked to go to Starbucks, but not needing to stop. And I feel so free alone on the open road. Mm-hmm. I just love to drive, but I feel safe in, in my car or my truck or whatever I'm in. I'm fine. Yeah. And I love all the 18 wheelers. I love stopping at the truck stops, especially all the girl truck drivers out there now. You see them out there at the loves on the way. <laughs> Having the conversations. And, and that's 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 the beauty of it. Yeah. I love the open road. I love I it. The open road. Oh my I god. I love it. It's that's it that's so cool to hear because I I get it. I fully get it. You're just yeah. out there alone and you're in your own thoughts and you're just, you know, yep. you're wondering and you're you're watching and you're witnessing and it's just magical. That's the beauty of it. I love it. Wow. I, I'm never a country music fan until I'm driving in the country. And then all of a sudden I find the best country music. There's something about in in now you should know I have a double life, right? So I have my LA life, my chic white apartment, and my white Tesla. And then I have my farm in Oregon with my F-150 Ford truck. And um, when I'm in that truck and I'm out on country roads, you can't listen to like jazz. You got to listen to country music. Yeah. You know, I get it. I totally get it. There's lots of versions of us. And I think that that's the beauty of this too. Yeah. So what's next for you before we jump up? Can I ask you this? What's next for you? Well, my current goals, partly because of my age, is to pare down the kinds of works that I do that take a lot of in-person stuff. So trying to take my teaching down to maybe only one class per semester and, um, and try to figure out a way to help more people using the internet. I mentioned that I started a Patreon community just a couple months ago, and I really love it. There's something about, it feels very intimate. It really does to have these private Zoom rooms with people around the world asking questions and me being able to assist them. I really, really like that. Uh, so I'm going to continue to um, do that. And then in my creative life, you know, I, I own Airbnbs, I, I own some real estate, I'm always remodeling. And I've been reading stuff about as we've entered what's called the knowledge economy, not enough of us are doing things with our hands. So I've been taking a woodworking course where I'm learning to make a table from scratch, like literally start out with logs and then and all the sanding and building because it's just new to me. So wow, that is so cool. That is so cool. I was, I mean, I was an artist and well, I am an artist. I was also in art school. So yeah, no, I've never been artsy at all. A few of those things myself. That's really cool. Yeah. So, um, okay. So if I can ask you one question that I'm asking, I'm starting to ask my guests, how has nature in your life helped you to get to this place where you're at today? Okay, don't laugh at me. I, never. <laughs> I have been guided by the singing of birds since I was a little girl. Oh. Even if I am in the most urban environment with traffic going by and noise and radios, I have a weird antenna and I go, and I can hear the bird in the tree over there. And I'm always listening for the birds. You can't see, but behind me in my little garden patio there, I have a bird feeder and a bird bath. 
<laughs> and I talk to those birds. Uh, but it is just as soon as I get up to my farm in Oregon, I just go, oh, my God, the birds are so loud. There's hundreds of them up there. And I listen to them constantly. And there's it just calms my neurochemistry. Now, there's good reason for this. In our evolutionary past, we were meant to be living in trees, you know, not in concrete and cement and behind glass. And so this would have been natural and normal for all of us. And so um, I just love, I love nature. Um, I love that there are countries in the world where the medical community can write a prescription for forest bathing, <laughs> a prescription for getting out into nature, because I've read studies that show that even one weekend spent in nature doubles your amount of um, you know, killer immune cells, and they stay that way for a few weeks. Yeah. So we are, it, it resets our neurochemistry. It calms us down. We're meant to be there. And for me, it's all about the birds. I Just- love it. <laughs> I love, I love, love, love. This is going to help so many people. And thank you for being here. Where can everybody find you? Well, everywhere online, the handle is no, at <laughs> Dr. Wendy Walsh, at Dr. Wendy Walsh. I would love to meet some of your people over in my Patreon community. That website is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Dr. Wendy Walsh, just D-R, no period. Um, but I'm on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and everywhere else. Uh, you can also listen to my radio show on the iHeartRadio app. I'm live every Sunday from 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. But it, every show is also on the app afterwards as a podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go follow, go be a part of her community as well. And it is, uh, I mean, I've been, I've been a part of your community for a while. Love it. Love Wonderful. it. Wonderful. See, we make all these connections and make all I these know, friends. And now you'll have to go hiking with me because I won't go alone. <laughs> I will. So, will you go in the middle of the night with me? <laughs> uh, can we bring like some bear spray? Or we something? can bring some bear spray and yes, you will still hear birds. <laughs> Good. I will get night you. birds. I noticed when I moved to California, we don't have these in Canada. When I moved from Canada to California, I was like, there are birds that sing at night. <laughs> there are night birds. There are night birds. A lot of things come out at night. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Well, thank you for being here. I really thank you. Nice to see you. So great to see you. Bye. My friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so grateful to have you here. I'd love to invite you over to sarahsholtencrans.com to receive five free meditations recorded by me or download your free guide on how nature is your perfect healing therapy. My site has many free resources to guide you on your life journey, many that I used myself while on my road from victim to survivor. And also, please, I ask that you share my podcast with those who may need inspiration, information, or who may need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review and subscribe. Go find it on other platforms such as Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please also go to my Instagram or Facebook page. Leave a message in my comments and tell me what you think of this episode. Please share in your stories and tag me. I'd love to reshare and celebrate your healing journey. I love hearing from each one of you. Let's keep the ripple going. It begins with each one of us. I love you. And as I always say, I believe in you, us, always.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.